We're really excited to have a guest. We haven't had a guest in quite a while. This is Jake Rudin from Out of Architecture. Jake, maybe you could just give a quick little intro to yourself. Happily. I'm wary of calling myself a, you know, a recovering architect on a stage like this because there are a lot of really true architects listening to this podcast. I'm an unlicensed, uh, architecturally educated, someone who has done architecture in the past. And currently uh, I work full-time here in Portland, Oregon at the uh, North American headquarters of Adidas uh, or Adidas, depending on your geography. And I build houses for feet, AKA shoes, which is a, a really wonderful process and actually uses a, a huge amount uh, of the tools that I garnered in my time, both at, uh, in my undergraduate professional degree of architecture, my graduate studies, which were more design technology focused, and then into a, a very wide range of, of miscellaneous roles. Um, so I run a computational design team as well as pattern engineering. So you can think a little bit of 3D visualization, a little bit of CAD, Rhino Grasshopper. So I was never the person to, to go in and pick up Revit, but in learning all those things, I've also started a, a side project with my co-founder, Aaron Pellegrino, and uh, it is entitled Out of Architecture and is probably the more interesting thing for us to discuss in this context. So I'm excited to uh, tell you a little bit more about it. Absolutely. Out of Architecture is definitely a fitting name based on the intro that you just gave. And you gave us some homework for this. You were very nice and <laughs> sending us a, a seven hour long uh, homework assignment that just like studio, uh, we're going to pretend that we did the whole thing. And, and so we're going to fake it. Yeah. Cormac. Way to go, Cormac. <laughs> the audiobook was fantastic. Well read yeah. by you, which was, was very cool. I mean, both of us listen to a lot of audiobooks as well yeah. as podcasts, right? Especially Cormac's on the road a lot. So <laughs> he's, he's always listening, looking for the next great audiobook. The memories just started flooding back yeah. to being yeah. in architecture school. You captured it really well. And I think as a device, I don't know what else to call it. It's like this literary device that you use to really bring us into the meat of the book. It was, it was a fantastic way to get started. And, and you tell some really fun stories, like the story about the cube. Oh, my gosh. That was <laughs> like we had to make a nine-inch cube perfectly out of basswood. And the little nuances that you captured in telling those stories, it's fun. And I think there's a lot of analogies and similarities to the show that we have here, Being having done this now for 10 years. And for you to say you're a recovering architect and, and being the age that you are, yeah, it's not fair. You can't say that. But, <laughs> but, the, but here we are. And, and I think a lot of those kind of shared cultural stories, uh, you know, the just the shared history that we all have, no matter where we went to school of design studio and go and like going through trial by fire of that experience. It really was a great way to kind of introduce the readers to the book. And I assume, again, I haven't, have not done my homework. It's just, it, it begs you to then say, well, look where we are and why are we here? Mm -hmm. And and some level, it's very obvious why we're here. And on, on another level, it's like, why do we accept why we are where we are? And to me, you know, this whole idea of being out of architecture and architecture adjacent, and what can you take those skills and apply them to in a place that will really value those things is something that a lot of people we obviously are finding are asking themselves or will be asking themselves after hearing stories like these. And, and so 
I just want to open it up. Maybe Cormac, you have some introductory thoughts about it because you you got through a lot more than I did. But and he did the homework because I did do the homework. You know, it was it was interesting because so I I love how you you basically broke the book down. You broke it down in a way of how we kind of like grew as architects through the passion that led us to school, through the school, and then the reality of the profession once you got out of school and how there's that misalignment of what our thoughts and our, our hopes and dreams of what an architecture, an architect would be in the architecture profession would be to the unfortunate reality in, in a lot of cases. Because what's interesting is, so I started to, as you told all of these stories, I was trying to parallel my experience in architecture, my experience coming into architecture, into the experience that I've had now over the past 20 plus years in architecture. And I came to it in a very non-traditional way. I graduated high school. I went into the army and ultimately, though I didn't know it at the time, I went to combat. And so when I came out, I had a different perspective about what I wanted the next steps of my life to be, because I kind of already had somebody kind of demanding my time and all of that other stuff. But the interesting thing is, is that even though I kind of had this idea of what I wanted to do. Architecture always finds a way to kind of course correct and say, uh-uh, no, it's the old hold my beer adage. You know, it's just like, okay, you're a little bit more seasoned. You, you have a little bit more life and experience um, behind you, but you don't have architecture. Mm -hmm. And so as you're telling these stories, I, you know, again, I was, like I said, I was paralleling myself to a lot of these. And then, so Evan, since you didn't do the homework, um, I did a little it, bit. It starts off as it goes through, talks about the joy that brings us into architecture. And what really kind of struck me is as you started to talk about, um, Jake, you know, when you were talking about the stories of, let's just call them the horror stories of, of the profession, I can guarantee you everybody has felt this one way, shape or form. And so let me back up a little bit. I almost wanted to start off with, okay, read the book, but I want to start with the conclusion. And the reason I wanted to do that is because Evan and I talk about this a lot. And so one of the things that you say is clients don't hold uh, the profession back. Architects hold the profession back or the profession holds the profession back. And we talk about this all the time. And I mean, this is one of the things that we harp on a lot in, in the past 10 years of conversation between each other. You know, we're always talking about what is the profession and why is the profession the way the profession is in a way. Sometimes it's a, a cathartic way of dealing with the profession. But where you were going with that, I loved it because it, it really just kind of just says, look, and, and I'm going to kind of quote you, you know, you are valuable and you deserve a career that aligns with your values. So many times we go in to this profession somewhat blind with the idea, this, the blinders on of, okay, this is what we think architecture is never really expecting it. And unfortunately, school doesn't really do a very good job of dispelling the myths of the hardworking thing. They, they essentially, and this will go back to some stuff that, you know, Evan and you and I talk about is the forming of the bad habits. You know, it's like, well, I did it, so you're going to have to do it too. And we never really truly learn our value or the value of the profession either until it's too late and you get frustrated and you want to try to roll out or you just feel like, eh, what, what can I do? I, I can't do anything. I'm just stuck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm very pleased to, to hear that you both 
took away very different things and, and also, you know, really enjoyed the, the book. I mean, for, for context for the listeners, you know, Aaron and I wrote this book about three years into the formation of Out of Architecture. Um, so Out of Architecture began kind of with this, you know, individual client consulting after being asked the question, you know, how, how, how did you leave the profession? Why would you be hired at a place like Adidas? Or, you know, Aaron is a, is a licensed architect. She runs her own practice. My wife, who is the third contributor to the book, is now running a vineyard here in Oregon, which is a spectacular uh, <laughs> next step for any, for any architect. But I think ultimately, you know, we, we had these experiences and we started to, to gain these experiences helping others. And, and it became, you know, as you referenced clients, we do, we support clients. We've had people from still in school all the way to actually, we have a client now with 54 years in the profession oh, <laughs> is, um, yeah. who is looking to, to make a change. Um, but you know, very, very common to have mid-career professionals, 15, 25 years of experience. And I think it's interesting, uh, you know, Cormac, what you said, you, you actually have boot camp experience. But one of the comments we make with really little or no, nothing to back it up in the book is that architects do have that kind of bond, you know, and, <laughs> and whether that is at the same level of intensity as someone who's been in combat together, you know, I, I really can't say. But Ultimately, I think what, what happens is you have five years of assumptions you can lay against another architect, knowing yeah. that they went to school and, and had the same experiences. And, and it's incredible that this transcends generations of architects that mm. we can, yeah. uh, yes. you know, I can say nine square grid and people get, you know, hairs standing up on the back <laughs> of their neck because they can feel those projects. They understand the context. And what has become really interesting to see is that as we see more and more architects take on challenges outside of the professions, we can come back to the challenges within the profession. But as we see architects not just leaving, but trying to perform architecture in different contexts, we also see that those people turn and are having conversations with current architects and they can understand throughout the hiring process I already know so much about you. I know about your problem solving ability. <laughs> I know about your stakeholder management capabilities. I know that right. you could work extremely hard when necessary. You know, I understand that you're going to be able to push the boundaries, that you have autonomy, that you have this wildly complex set of skills, maybe not complete specialist. I think a lot of architects, when they leave, they worry that, well, I'm not like a unique expert in one area, right? right? And we can, again, you know, that's a topic that maybe we'll touch on, but it's so fascinating to see this camaraderie of ex-architects, you know, supporting whether it's architects staying in or adjacent to the profession or leaving altogether. It does have that feeling that these stories are really, you know, they're really commonplace. Mm -hmm. I think the fun thing about writing the book was we've gotten so much feedback in the time since we we released it in November, so the last six months of people feeling seen, just feeling like, you know, these were somewhat hidden topics. There are narratives in there about you getting stabbed in the leg at work with an exacto <laughs> or, you know, I mean, which is an unfortunately common experience. Um, Ooh, or, yeah. you know, I have yeah, a, really a story is. about, you know, getting sued for trying to take work for my portfolio or, you know, having yeah. these... Uh these really uncomfortable at-bats with the profession that are these just known, these open secret issues. 
And of course, there are plenty of other that, you know, might not even be appropriate for three white men to discuss in this context of, you know, issues of, of diversity in the profession, issues of sexism and all, all of these other realms. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly a breath of fresh air to have it out in the open. And yeah. uh, it was very nerve wracking to do. I think we were, we were very nervous about putting that out into the world. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is, is that I think this acted as a primer for other people to actually have the conversation and feel comfortable with having the conversation because your book is actually made, you know, we have our, our internal intranet, um, called the square and your book has been posted on the square, um, for people, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, just a fantastic resource. And it's a resource, you know, it's a lot of people were just like, what does this mean? Are you leaving? You know I mean? Yeah. You know, it's just like. It's an uncomfortable it, resource. And it, and it really, mm -hmm. honestly, in a way, it's a resource about feeling comfortable with having these conversations because almost every one of the examples that you gave, and there's a lot of them, and, it, and they're really, it, they enrich the story. They enrich the point that you're trying to make. And every, almost every story, or, or let me just say my own personal experience, every story that you told I've experienced, um, yep. and, and unfortunately I've experienced and I'm still here. <laughs> but what it is, is it, it really does make it, it's empowered people to have the conversation. And the problem that we've had leading up to this is that it was always hush hush. No one wanted to talk about, it. no one wanted to talk about, you talk about salaries and I've had more transparent conversations about salaries in the last, I don't know, say month, month and a half. Just because, you know, we've, we've had a few people either leave the firm or people, some friends of mine who were looking for other jobs and things like that. And, you know, they're like, okay, I don't know what my value is. I don't know what my, you know, they're, they're putting the monetary value on there, what they think they are versus mm -hmm. what I love about, you know, the kind of like the, the finale of the book is, you know, talking about you deserve a career that aligns with your values. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is that when people are putting the monetary value on it, I think they're missing the point of what do you really, okay, this is an opportunity for you to really look and see what you really want. And are there firms out there like the Todd Williams, Billy Chen example that you gave about being a family type environment? There are firms out there that value you, that, that want you there, not just as a cog in the machine, but as a real true contributor. It's not a me, it's a we. And so I think that's, as much of a value to people who want to stay in architecture, as much as the people who really want to get, you know, get out of architecture is that let's have this conversation. This is what's really happening. Will you guys pay attention to me? Thank you, Cormac. I hope you leave that as an audible review. That, that would, <laughs> I, will. I will. That would be a spectacular cap, but yeah, I can't, I, uh, can't say anything other than that, you know, if, if what you perceived has been felt by more people than the book is certainly a success because it's, yeah. it's not meant to convince people that leaving is their one option, right? It is meant to be a kind of reevaluation and an opportunity to get reinvigorated. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, so many clients that we have do choose to stay in the profession, but they choose to stay in a different context, mm -hmm. either at a different company or with a different understanding, or some of them are going to moving to running their own businesses. And, right. and I mean, that is sometimes what someone really needs, or they need that multivalent set of work that can only come from, sure, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to step back. I'm going to go 
down to 30 hours working with you and I'm going to pursue this other project on the side, right? And maybe that is a creative project like running a podcast or it's a different kind of work that they've been pursuing. But ultimately, I think what we're seeing from both clients and also readers is we've been so focused on the one path to achieving the title architect that either on the way there, we forget to look around and see what it actually means to be an architect. Right. Or when we get there, we stop and pick our heads up. And this is probably the saddest thing that, that for me working with clients is I have a lot of clients who come right after licensure and just say, I don't know that this is what I want, but I don't know that I could be anything else. Right. And I yeah. think that's really uh, devastating as someone who also loves the profession and loves what it represents and stands for in terms of creativity in the built environment. The idea of sunk costs into an education, mm -hmm. into licensure, into all of the things that you have to do to, you know, it used to be called I, IDP, right? It was like, mm -hmm. we had, you have to have all these hours, you have to have them signed off by mentors, you have to, in all these different categories. And then to your point, it's like, I don't know that I could be anything else because mm -hmm. I feel trapped. I mean, that's the other, that's the rest of that sentence, right? Yeah. Because if it's, and, and you talk about the idea of it, you know, we have to get away from the education system being about just drilling into people that this is a calling because there's a lot of people who don't feel like it's a calling at all, right. but they're there suffering through something because they've invested so much and that is never reciprocated by the profession itself or by the people that they work for or by the companies that they work for. And so this whole idea of value it really does circle around that. And do we value ourselves? And I don't know if anybody else on the call here has ever written down what their values are, but I think that's a key part of it because a lot of times you just have a sense, you have a feeling like I, I value design, I value communication, I value respect, I value these things. But if you really take the time to write them down and then compare that against the people that you hang out with, the people that you work for, the people that work for you. Like there's, there's a lot of different ways you could evaluate that and try to really objectively do that. There does kind of have to become a reckoning because once you see that, you can't unsee that. And I think a lot of people in architecture have a very thick skin and they kind of have this armor and they've gotten really good at just denying these senses that come to them, these things that they've you could block them out, right? The The goal mm -hmm. is to filter those out because I've got this deadline. I've got this job to do. I've got these people mm -hmm. that I work for and doing things other than the way that, that the situation that I'm already in is difficult, right? Like it just, it's more work for you to figure out what your value is, to write your values down, to demand that respect from other people. And so it's easier not to. And we have a very introverted population in architecture and it is I think hard for a lot of people to step outside of that, but it is very important to recognize that nobody else is going to do that for you. Cormac and I have right. said that on this podcast many <laughs> times. It's like there is one person responsible for all of that stuff for you, and it's you, unfortunately. And, and it is great to have advocates, but it is also difficult to rely on the advocacy of others in a profession where everybody has been taught to go it alone. Everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, the history of of going it alone is is a really interesting one, and it is addressed um, in the books uh, about midway through. There's a really probably my favorite chapter, and actually the one that um, uh, I don't know if you can hear it in in my voice, but I, that I enjoyed reading the most. And it's about uh, it's called the gentleman's profession, and there is a narrative in there about Michelangelo and this beautiful painting that portrays him in all black, you know, with just his face and hand visible, pointing to his model of, of St. Peter's Cathedral. And there's a line in there at the very end that we make this commentary that says, look, you know, we're representing a single person. We treat an architect as if they should be able to do everything by themselves. And that causes mm-hmm. burnout, you know, that causes these, these upended expectations that causes the feeling that work is never done. But in reality, it's long been supported by teams of people and, and the sort of unseen and everyone sort of taking their turn in that role, which again, is not, is, is not a good thing, right? It's not a, a good way for us to treat people is, is to put them behind the curtain and say, some, someday will be your turn, right? Mm-hmm. Right now you're, right, right. you're the understudy, just, just shut up and do what you're told. But that line at the end is, uh, woe betide the lowly craftsman whose contributions are relegated to history, if ever acknowledged at all, something mm-hmm. to that effect. And I, one, I love reading old books, so it felt really good to read something in that language. And yet at the same time, uh, it really does point to woe is this person who just toils away in the background and is not thinking of their own creative fulfillment, their own need to feel valued. And when we talk to clients about that, they say, I'm getting underpaid. Like, I know I could be making more somewhere else. And we always say like, okay, okay, okay. That that's valid. And most of our clients leave with significant salary increases. But the, the point that I want you to understand is what makes you feel valued? Is it because your boss has never said thank you? You know, is it because the, the expectations are so high? that they're unattainable. And when you achieve them, it's just the expectation is, is feeling valued, like getting control of of your work. Is it having a say in design and writing those down is incredibly important. And you can come and pay us to tell you to write them down, or you can sit down (laughs) and and write them down. It's hard work, uh, which I think is a, is a very valid thing. But I do think I wrote this note on, uh, you mentioned that architects are introverts and One of the things that is so difficult, I think, is to hold ourselves accountable for our own happiness Mm -hmm. and our our own Mm -hmm. trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, It is is an impossible challenge. And I negotiate for people on a weekly basis, and I am still really not good at negotiating for my own Mm -hmm. and advocating for my own value. And it takes so much practice. It's a muscle that has to be flexed. But Having an accountability buddy in this, I mean, I think if Cormac were going to that situation, Evan, I would expect you to step up and say, no, no, you don't take, don't take any less than 10 You should, mil, you should you know? see the text I, mean, I send this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, it's, it's, it's actually funny though, because I've been known throughout, I don't know, the past decade or so of helping other people out of bad situations in the profession. And helping find them and placing them, you know, like reaching out to my network of people and finding the right place for them. And then we've got this guy, which, you know, whichever direction he is on your screen, always saying, well, what are you doing for yourself? And 
always hammering me to think about, you know, myself and my value and my worth and all of that other stuff. And mm-hmm. let me just say, mind your business. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought up the Michelangelo one because leading up to that, all of the stories were kind of like woeful. In a, in a way, I'm going to just be a little honest here. You know, I was getting a little perturbed with you. It was just like, all right, all right. You, you like the architects. I get it. You know, you like the high design and, and everything else. But in a way, the reason why is because it was like, there's people who work for them usually go into it thinking, you know, and this is my impression is people go because, you know, it's, it's something that looks respectable on their resume. Hey, I'm going to be able to like market myself. I'm going to learn something. And the reality of the fact is, is that almost nine out of 10 of those experiences usually end up as a cog in machine that never really gets any true value out of working there. Other than the fact that, yeah, now they've got a blip on their resume that says, I work for X, Y, or Z architect. And then when you got to that chapter, I was like, ah, okay. He was setting it up. I, I, I get it now. It was just like, well done, well written. Cause it was just like, okay, you know, because with that Michelangelo section and when you started reading that, I'm like, yeah, because there is no, and I don't want to, you know, drop any names. So I'll just say there is no architect that can stand in front of a client with the, you know, getting the pat on the back without the multitude of people behind him that actually made that scribble or sketch on a napkin actually come into reality. And in fact, I find as a senior architect that, you know, leads a lot of like the technical side of things, I find that it really is more of the people who actually are on that side of it that are actually more responsible for the bullies that you see that the big star architect's getting the pat on the back for. Because living in the trenches and I'm just like, ah, all right, another person who's got star in their eyes because of the star architect. And it was just like, okay, fine. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for fixing my anger. I'm glad we didn't string you along too long. I hope it wasn't, wasn't no, like no, a no. really torturous, you know, hour for someone you were working with or a, or a project you were working on. No. <laughs> oh, you were listening to that. No, I'm, I'm so glad. I, I think it's difficult. And there are things I would go back and change about the book for sure. In that I think a lot of the goal of putting this text together, you know, we've, we've been in business now for five years was to be able to reach more than just a, one client at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, we're, we're well over the thousands mark on the on, on book sales, which is, yeah, it was, it's great. I will just say in the interest of transparency that books are not the place to go and make money. Um, <laughs> like do not go, yep. you know, he, he wrote one too. Go, yeah. Yep. <laughs> work with a, don't work with a publisher. Uh, we loved our, our publisher and they did a great job, but, um, it, you know, it's certainly anything far from lucrative. However, ultimately it has achieved some of those goals, but I do feel like it leaves a little bit of an asking, like now what? For, for a lot of people that, you know, they, they echo with these stories, they get to the end, they, they see the examples. And there are some exercises in there that we've tried to embed, you know, to give actionable steps. But ultimately, I think it's still, it's a very opaque process. And partly just because of terminology. Uh, we, we've given a bunch of lectures recently at, at universities and, and we're giving one actually uh, tomorrow at Kent State University, which I'm really looking okay. forward to. And one of the doors that we open for students is look at this list of 300 job titles that we've had clients apply for. All of these could be an architect taking that position. Mm -hmm. And it could be product design. It could be Mm -hmm. fashion. It could be project management. It could be any number of these things. Even the terms experiential design, workplace design, service design, retail design is an Mm -hmm. architect ultimately, right? Or 
uh, or a very skilled interior designer. And, (laughs) and I think it's so difficult for us to have siloed ourselves around this term. I understand that sunk cost fallacy, Evan, that you were mentioning earlier, but Mm -hmm. I would do the same eight years of school that I did again, uh, you know, anytime. And it has enabled me to be the director of business development at a startup. It's enabled me to come in and work on an innovation team at a 60,000 person company and bring a perspective that not many other people have outside of architecture. I will say that it's enabled by three degrees, including an MBA, but I would say that that is just a testament to the love of learning that most architects have. And it's more commentary on my, my privilege than anything else with my privilege showing. Um, but I think it's very achievable for architects to make this move. And there are so many wonderful AEC companies right now that are pursuing interesting things. You know, people who are building, I don't know, things like, oh, tech app or <laughs> other AEC applications to drop a few names for you, yeah. Evan. Nice. Yeah. You know, and we have actually many of the people that work for us at Out of Architecture are full-time at places like Layer, which is a relatively yeah. recent AEC startup, or Monograph. And they really enjoy getting to come at the challenge of making building possible from this other lens. Yeah, um, right. And it's a beautiful thing. And so this is something that we've had multiple conversations about in the past, Evan and I. But if you, if all of the names that you just dropped and the, you know, plethora of others that are out there. If you notice, most of those are architectural or AEC adjacent companies that are innovating for architecture because architecture isn't innovating for itself. And so you're right. Who is best suited to fill those roles? Architects or reformed architects or architect adjacents like the, the, the other guy over there. I think Absolutely. That, that that's, a, that's a, a really important point. And, and it, What's nice about it is you still feel like you're making a difference in the profession, in the industry. It is hard to make that difference in a firm that is very protective of their ideas, what goes out, the marketing, the perceptions, all of those things. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like you can actually have more impact on what I say is stop working in the profession and start working on the profession. Mm -hmm. It's easier to do that outside of an architecture firm. And a lot of firms don't understand why that is, but if you're in there, you do know why it it is like that because you are constantly battling that microcosm of the profession. And that's really how I always saw it was each firm is a microcosm. It has the same symptoms as the entire profession does, but they're like under a magnifying glass because you're there every day living that every day. And what's interesting is if you go out to another firm, you realize same day, same problems, right? Like different days, same yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, the shared cultural issues that we have as a profession that even though these firms don't necessarily talk to each other, they have the same embedded issues. And I think a lot of that has to do with the education system, the licensing process, the way our projects are insured, the way contracts are written, the way low bid, you know, it's like all these things pile on top of each other and they really encapsulate our profession and they encrust it mm-hmm. so that it, it, this crystallized, it's not fluid. It's very crystallized. And that to me is, is like all those different pieces are holding it back. Like we are holding it back ourselves, right? It's like right. people always like to point at the AIA and say, the AIA doesn't do this for me. And it's like, who's in the AIA? Well, well, I am. 
it's the same thing for the profession. It's, it's like, who's the profession? You're the profession. And so for me to move adjacent and to go slightly outside of, I love design, but I feel this responsibility to try to enact change in the profession for the profession, not just for me, not just from the firm I work for, not just for the team, but for all of us, because I do want this profession to exist in the future. If it, if it doesn't exist in the future, I'll be really upset about that. So it doesn't deserve to exist, though, just by default. And, and so right. we need to see more people shouldering this burden and working on the profession. And what, what I'm working on, what people at Monograph are working on, et cetera, are really trying to solve problems for a lot of people in the profession. And that, to me, is, that is doing God's work right there. Because for a profession to be as successful as it is, like there are a lot of people making a very decent living, it could be so much better. It's, a, it's incredible how much better it could be if we would get out of our own way. I'm wondering, Jake, if, if you could take us back, like you said, Out of Architecture has been operating for five years. You started writing the book two or three years ago. What was the tipping point for you? Was it, was it merely to get more exposure in what Out of Architecture was doing? Or was there another catalyst that really said, we need to put this into the snapshot of, of the book? That's a good question. You know, I think what we were seeing as a business really was a confluence of these two things. And one was, hmm, how do we get these, you know, visibility to these ideas, um, which is, could sound a little bit self-serving. Um, and, you know, frankly, it is in part, but at the same time, I think you have to put yourself in, in our position, which is that, you know, we have stood up and, and really sort of held up uh, a mirror to the profession in a way that is, mm -hmm. is quite uncomfortable for people who are still, you know, very involved in it. I mean, when they told me, you know, when you leave architecture, you'll never come back. I mean, I've been back every day through, through this lens and, uh, you know, care very deeply about a lot of people who are still uh, in the profession. And, you know, uh, I mentioned that my, my wife has left, but she was working as an architect for six years beyond when I was there. And what we began to see is that these ideas, you know, which are so shared were so far from public conversation. They were mm. so far from being an open subject of discussion, you know, salary, abusive managers, you know, poor hierarchy or organization within firms, all of these things. And I think the reason that these are so tied together is because we noticed that even in a forum like, let's say, LinkedIn, which is a, as a public forum, but it's one that is meant to encourage professional discourse. First of all, architects aren't there. Right. Architects need to get on LinkedIn because Where that's the only the platform architects? that I have a following. And then the <laughs> second is that architects wouldn't engage with us. And we would get these um, very personal, very interesting messages on the side that said, I really appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate the message that you're putting out into the world. And I would say, you know, well, come, yeah. You know, engage, you know, comment, be, be involved, um, you know, come join us for this next live talk. And they would say, I can't, you know, I can't, I'm too worried that uh, my firm's going to find out, yeah. you know, I'm too worried that uh, my friend's going to find out. And, you know, even the idea of talking to us, I mean, people, some people come to us just on the verge of tears, just at the idea that they are betraying the mm. profession by considering doing something else. And when you say, you know, that we need to leave. Cormac, I, I see you there. I'm coming to you. But uh, when you say that we need to leave in order to make change, the business of architecture 
that is enabled, you know, quite a bit by the AI it has has a lot to to be at fault. I mean, the billable hour system means that there isn't really as much as well, many firms would love to promote innovation. There's just not time right. in the day set aside yeah. to do that. So come on, Cormac, join in. You know, there, there's there's this whole factor of it's just like, OK, Cormac, you're going to be billable at at least 80 percent of your normal mm -hmm. hours. Jake, you're going to be sorry. You know, you're just starting your career. You're going to be 100 percent. You've got to be but in seat, 100% run in there. And, you know, Mr. Principal over there, you got to be at least billable, I don't know, maybe 50, 60%. I don't know what yours was at the time before you left. But I want to rewind just a little bit. So you go back to talking to other architects who, you know, say, yeah, I, I love what you're saying, but I don't want to get involved with this discourse because I don't want to have the perception of, oh, I'm unhappy. You know, Put a target I, on your back. I'm, Right. Exactly. I'm talking to a guy who helps facilitate people's parole from the, you know, it, and so they don't stop to at least ask themselves, okay, why are people considering leaving? What is the problem? Why is it that right. people are looking elsewhere, looking for that greener grass? It's a systemic problem that we just don't seem to address because we don't want to have that discourse with, with people. You know, we know what the problems are. We just, you know, are very, very hesitant about trying to fix them because we're worried that, oh, you're just going to be a rabble rouser. You know, you're just, you know, trying to upset the apple cart and, you know, and, and we can't have people, uh, you know, having that kind of like discourse, you know, so you're the problem. L let me give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine who, you know, was recently, um, you know, they, they left uh, the firm that they were working for, exceptional person. They went to a, a different firm. But once they left the firm, as everybody knows, the conversation is, oh, why did that person leave? Oh, well, they weren't performing here. They, there's some excuse about why that person was the problem versus why the organization or the profession is the problem. And so there's always this, it's not me, it's, it's you. It's a justify. Yeah, it's a justification. Exactly. Some exactly. other way to justify it. Very interesting. As a, as a hiring manager at Adidas, I am constantly faced with the challenge of, of retaining talent and very infrequently, is it anyone's fault, but the organizations that they're not creating opportunity Ooh. for people to, to grow, to enjoy themselves, to do these things. And of, of course there are plenty of folks who want a free ride. That is, that is definitely true, mm. but. To point to someone who's made the choice to leave and, and find something better and to chase them out the door with that is just, I think to your point, Cormac, when, when we are afraid that someone's going to find out, the real question we should be asking is, why are we afraid? Like, what kind of disgusting workplace are you in that you can't have exactly. an open dialogue exactly. about, you exactly. know, things like how to improve onboarding and, and open communication and better project management and time management. And, you know, all of these things should be yeah. up for grabs. People should want to solve them. There's three different things that I'm thinking of here. I'm going to try to remember all three of them as I go through this. But the first one is, is that when, when people are having those kinds of justification conversations, I've also heard the other side of that, which is, they're going off to do this other project type. They're going off to work for this other person. They're going off to work for this other firm, whatever it is. Good for them. Like that's good for them because they need to develop in these other ways. And I always, I always shake my head because it's like, 
you couldn't find other ways for them to develop in the company that they're already in, that makes absolutely no sense because of course there are ways, but they try to justify it and make themselves feel better about it and say, you know, this is the right move for them. They're going to go find right. this other piece of their professional career that's missing, quote unquote missing. So that was the first one. The second one is that architects don't get any leadership training. A lot of times it is trial by fire. You get put into a position of managing something that you're not ready to manage. You figure it out as you go, but that's not leadership. Those are two different things. And leadership in firms I've seen so many times is treated as a position of seniority. And leadership is a skill. It is not a position of seniority. And leadership is lacking when you don't know why people are doing things. If you don't know why somebody is leaving, it's because you don't know them. And if you don't know them, you're not being a good leader. You need to know all of your people. So these are the things that are kind of swirling around in my head as I'm, as I'm hearing what you guys are talking about. It's incredibly frustrating because we don't make time. I guess this is the third thing of three things is we don't make time to work on our profession, on our businesses, because we're so busy solving everybody else's problems all the time. And that is something that is just programmed into us through school, through licensure, through working in these firms, from people who like to do it the way we've always done it, which is let's just keep cranking this out. Let's just keep our eyes on the prize and never actually notice like the gusher that's going on. Like we've, we've cut ourselves, we're bleeding out people, and we're too busy ignoring that because we have these other distractions that we absolutely, these deadlines, we have to hit these. We have to, no matter what. How many times have you felt that? It's like, well, all the time. That's normal in architecture. <laughs> so this whole idea of not being able to design our own businesses, to design the way that these things work is really, to me, where all of the money is left on the table because we're so good at design. We're so good at solving other people's problems. If we could only really turn that mirror on ourselves, which you've, you're doing in this book, which is to say, are we happy with what we look like? Are we happy with what we feel mm. like? Let's actually do that uncomfortable stare down with ourselves and say, is this really how it needs to be? Because I think it's pretty honest to say, absolutely not. And this book is doing important work to bring these kinds of conversations up because they are uncomfortable to have, but they are so necessary because if they don't happen, we're really going to suffer the consequences of that. And people will just go somewhere else. Like they, To me, that's the most intriguing thing about the younger generations today in architecture, which is they're not afraid to say, it shouldn't be like this. Like that's screwed yeah. up. <laughs> and my generation did not have the wherewithal to do that. And that disservice has continued. There was this interesting conversation that I was having with somebody on the bus at the AIA convention last year. We're in similar situations, project managers dealing with a lot of young people who were just coming out of school during the COVID period and, you know, dealing with them kind of in a remote situation. And they're like, you know, I just see them, you know, they, they pop on, they go green and they start working and then they pop off during lunch and then they pop back on and then, you know, five o'clock rolls around and they're gone. You know, why can't they stay longer? We've got a job to do. We need to do that. I'm like, mm. a lot of times when I was coming up, I would have said, yeah, just you know, the old, uh, pull up your, uh, bootstraps and just get to work. The job has got to get done. 
And as I was having that conversation with him, I started to realize it's like, wait, we're not the ones that are right. They're the ones that are right because they're basically putting the dam between work and life. And they're saying, look, I mean, I get it. I've got a job to do and I'm going to be as efficient as possible. And I'm going to do the job that I can't. It is not my fault if you can't meet your deadlines because you, the project manager, or you, the principal in charge, haven't set realistic goals for our project. So I'm going to do my job as best as I can, but I'm not going to sacrifice my life for it. And it goes back to the Aaron bloodletting part of your book where she basically just kind of said, look, I'm not going to sit around and have this conversation with you guys. I could probably get this job done a lot faster if instead of you guys telling this story about, uh, uh, I'm going to leave it out. Uh, let, let people read that one. It but, was hard to read in the audiobook. I'll just say yeah, that. Yeah. But at least she drew a line in the sand and said, you know, look, I mean, you cut, you know, my support. You cut my help. You're not helping, but you expect me to sacrifice for you. And I have been, and I, I'm now bleeding all over the place, but you constantly still expect me to do what you are failing to do, which is, do this project right, set realistic goals, mm -hmm. set realistic support, all of these different factors. And that's, that's actually, honestly, that's what I think is like the, to me, you know, somebody still in the profession, that is to me, the biggest value of the book is telling the stories about what really goes on in the profession, which is what we do. We basically tell it from the trenches. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no real sugarcoating. You know, most of the time it's full of the snark and sarcasm, mostly on me as the defense mechanism. It's just something to let people know, hey, you aren't alone. And that the thing that I found most valuable about your book was, is that you're letting people, you're telling the stories of people who have gone through the same things that everybody else is going through and kind of showing them that there's option A is, you know, it's like blue pill, red pill. Blue pill is out of architecture. Red pill is in architecture but how are you going to change it? You've heard all of these horror stories. You've lived all of these horror stories. How can you change it? Mm -hmm. Or, okay, if it's not going to change because we kind of know that really, here's how I always put it. The only way we're going to change is when the people who are resistant to change will die. <laughs> yeah, we've said that quite a few times. And it's an unfortunate fact that they're not going away. And unfortunately, they're kind of recreating bad habits by forcing people to live their bad habits. It's like, I was treated poorly. I'm going to treat you poorly. I want you to treat Jake poorly. Jake, once Evan starts this new job, I want you to treat him poorly. And that's just the systemic problem that we sort of have. And so the good thing about it is, is like, if you share these stories and you say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Where is the value in you? It's a, uh, it's a tough line to walk. And I hear a lot of what you're saying as, uh, still kind of this excuse the throwing your hands up and saying like, well, you know, it's not going to change unless, you know, these people die off, but they're teaching the next generation. And then mm -hmm. that generation lives, you know, I don't know, with medical science, probably, you know, <laughs> longer, let's just yeah. say. And I'm going to say that, you know, one of my big fears is out of architecture, not being solution oriented. And we just published an op-ed in Architects newspaper called Design Your Business Like You Design Your Buildings. <laughs> and this has in it a lot of the points that, that Evan was making or circling around about architects not making time to design their businesses and also 
uh, almost word for word a line that Evan said earlier in the podcast, which is if your business cannot sustain itself uh, without the unpaid labor of, of others, it doesn't deserve to exist. And I think we need to have a good hard look at our businesses. And even if you are an architect listening to this and you think I'm just full of absolute shit and am stealing good people from the profession, which I am, and they're great and they get great jobs and they don't want to be in your stupid profession anyways, you, you should have, <laughs> exactly. you should have the self-worth and self-respect to look at your business and want it to perform without harming others. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think yeah. that is a base criteria for us and it's not being met. And that uh, op-ed is actually a counter op-ed to a sort of up and coming, very design driven firm with four letters that has been put through the ringer for mm -hmm. posting really low salaried roles and making a bunch of excuses about it. So mm -hmm. I'll let your yeah. listeners and yourselves put two and two together, but it's a curious place that we find ourselves in. And I think there are so many opportunities here for us to, to affect change. And, and maybe I'll bring us a little closer to an end by saying that Out of Architecture is, is a name that's been with the business since it started. And of course, the first thing that people think is, oh, Out of Architecture, you get people out of architecture. <laughs> and I've always enjoyed being able to flip that a little bit and say, well, but it's also what you get out of architecture. It's also yeah. what you bring with you, what you carry forward, what you feel from architecture. And if that is abuse and distrust and, uh, you know, an utter disdain, then yeah, maybe you do need to get out. But if what you want to get out of architecture is something that you can find or make or change within the context of the profession, then do it. Absolutely. You know, I know a lot of good yeah. firms. I know a lot of amazing designers who also happen to be licensed architects. And those two things do not need to be one and the same. There can be terrible designers and terrible business people who are architects, but yeah. there can also be architects who consider themselves to be more than just that noun, you know, and you don't need to feel a crisis of faith if you choose to pursue some of those skills that aren't within the umbrella of the profession. So one of the things that we talk about at Tech a lot is this idea of being licensed problem solvers, not just licensed architects. And there are so many businesses out there once they see that value and it might, they may not have experienced it yet, but once they do experience it, it's like, I've got to have that. I've got to have that on my team. And it could be your city council. It could be so many different things where every one of these things would benefit from having an architect sitting at the table. And to think of ourselves beyond buildings with shoe design, fashion, software, planning, so many ways that things are just constantly in flux and changing in the way that we solve problems. It's just that you bring a skill set that nobody else is trained for. Nobody. And so if I could just leave that piece out there to say, like, that's where your value is, and that is worth so much to so many people, if you're not being valued where you are now, there are places out there that will value you. And you don't have to look at that next step as the final destination. 
You absolutely don't. I mean, there are so many people, and Cormac and I have talked about this on the show quite a few times, where we'll watch younger generation people move from firm to firm because they're building their portfolio based on project types and experience types. And there's no shame in that at all. They're doing it on purpose. And the older generations look at that and, and they're kind of freaked out by it. But that kind of intentional trajectory setting by people is so interesting to me. And I think that it just shows that there's so many ways in which you can do this. And there is no shame in going out of an abusive relationship to get what you actually <laughs> need to have a happy, fulfilling life. And you don't have to spend it somewhere where you're miserable. Misery right. is not helping you. It's not helping them. You're not performing your best. Let it go. Go find a place. And if you have to experiment to get there, so be it. But it doesn't mean that whatever that next thing is, it's the final chapter. It's probably not. We all know that this is a long, maturing process that we go through. But the value of an architect can be seen at so many different stations and so many different locations that I, I really, I hope people will get into your book and start to kindle that fire within them that we all had when we were in school. We went through this mind-bending mind-blowing experience like you talk about nothingness right and you talk about what is space and what are these and, and, and you're right like those were mind expanding this is why we ultimately fell in love with this right it was like you you just glossed over one of these stories that for me was school's been doing you a disservice since you were in kindergarten where they taught you how to color inside the lines and it that to me was something that i still think about today when my first year professor told me that and it was just like, whoa, that's a different perspective. And it, it blew my mind. And it sounds so simple and trite today, but it was a big deal for an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old. And it's these kinds of things why we fell in love with it. And if we can get back to those kinds of mind-blowing, mind-bending, like we have so much that we can do for the world and we don't have to have that epitaph carved in the place in the building where no one will ever see it about the people who worked on this and their names will never be known kind of a thing we really can make a huge difference for so many places out there. I, I encourage people to get into the book and just open that door, at least in your own mind, because if you don't, no one else is trying to figure out how to do this for you. So encourage you all to get into Out of Architecture book and check it out. You're doing a service for the profession that it's medicine that they don't want to take, that we don't want to take, but I think it's an important treatment because not everybody needs to be here. There's no other way to say it. Not everybody needs to be here. And that, Jake, is his audible review. <laughs> beautiful. They're beautiful. both beautiful you the, reviews. The access to the original recording here. Well, thanks for joining us today. This has been fun. It will include all the places to go in the show notes, but is there anything you want to add in here at the end just to really drive it home where, where people can go find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. So we have, you know, had a, an, a pretty open system for a very long time and we've got five advisors now. We've got a whole team of people who are uh, really interested in having these conversations. So if you want to spend a half an hour chatting with us, please, you know, come on over. We do uh, scheduling all through the Out of Architecture website, obviously, outofarchitecture.com. I think our, our socials are split between uh, Instagram at Out of Architecture and LinkedIn, where you can find both myself, Jake Rudin, and Aaron Pellegrino, uh, my business partner. And you're welcome to come in and connect with us and, and have a conversation. The only other place that might be appropriate for this audience is we have a podcast. And uh, what's interesting about that is it is narratives, stories, 
and interviews with people who have left the profession, who have made a transition, who talk about the, the beautiful things that they've taken out of those experiences and, and some of the, you know, the more horror stories, reasons why they've left. Um, and that's called Tangents. Uh, you can find that wherever you find your podcasts. And we'll be starting season two of that actually in, uh, in May of this year. So that'll be an exciting new round of uh, people to interview and, and stories to tell. And you guys also have been um, speaking. I... Yeah, we had, we actually hosted a, a symposium this, this year. It was one of our, our first kind of big out of architecture events. And we had Cameron Sinclair, the founder of Architecture for Humanity, who wrote Design Like a Give a Damn, say, you know, that architects are the only ones getting an architect's way. We had talks from people who, uh, you know, are the director of product at Kayak for UX design, who are using their architecture design skills to build out anti-racist platforms who are building base architecture and, and studying microbial architecture systems. So it was fun. It was a place to celebrate these architects that are out in the yeah, world making totally. amazing things. If anyone can hook me up with, uh, there's a couple of architects I'd love to speak to still, I think. Neri Oxman's on the list. Um, I'm emailing with uh, Tinker Hatfield, who's one of the original Nike designers mm -hmm. who is... Uh, and yeah, also yeah. studied architecture and sort of infamously comes from there. But it's yeah. amazing how many architects you see out in the world. I think Ice Cube studied architecture, the rapper, but say <laughs> the actor, rapper slash personality and Weird Al Yankovic. If any if right. Weird Al, if you're listening to this podcast, come come find me. I'd love to have you on this on tangents. <laughs> and David Byrne of, of Talking Heads. So, yeah, there's some great people out there. Well, thanks, Jake. This has been fantastic. We'll put links to everything that, that you just mentioned in our show notes. And uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time and for writing the book and for yeah. doing what you're doing. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, Evan. I really appreciate the, the chance to be here. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the evolution of this podcast and also the work that you're doing to help people find new roles and, and products that you're building. So it's, it's exciting to see architects come together in these different forums. Thanks, man. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you.